Welcome to the 129th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and a preview of the NCAA basketball tournament. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NBA, where Patrick went 1-3 in his weekend predictions. In NCAA basketball, Patrick went 2-2, two two, making him 3-5 overall in this weekend's predictions, and bringing him to a 368-261 and 261 overall record, a 58.5% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, uh, as I said to you, I think I was a little bit distracted with making my bracket this entire week and uh, editing it over and over and over again. Uh, it was hard also to do NCAA predictions this week because obviously neutral court makes everything harder to pick. I mean, wouldn't say I rely entirely only on home teams and picking them to win, but it definitely does help when you know for sure who you can pick in terms of that kind of a deal. Uh, but then also you had weird things where you thought that a team was playing well or you thought that a team wasn't going to make their run, and then they made their run, especially Virginia Tech, which was a game that I got wrong there. Uh, but overall in college basketball, not too surprised that, it, you know, it's March. You put you pick any team, and it's pretty much 50-50 at this point. Uh, and then in the NBA, had some really close games. The Celtics, I thought, were going to win because it was Kevin Garnett's jersey retirement ceremony. I thought they were going to put up a good performance. But the Mavericks were just too good right at the end of the game in the fourth quarter with the game tied at 92. They hit a three. That three won the game. Uh, and then in terms of the other games, the Warriors just way outplayed the Bucks because Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson both had 30 points. Uh, Klay Thompson with 38, I think, is most since he's returned for sure. Um, and then the other games, again, more NBA clutch time losses that, you know, they were good games. Uh, barely, barely, barely lost those games, but... Uh, in the end, or one one of the two remaining that I didn't talk about, but it's all about March Madness. All right, well, since it's all about March Madness, we'll wrap up uh, this look at Patrick's predictions, and his predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. So, since it's all about March Madness, let's take a look at the NCAA tournament. Patrick, let's start with your various methodologies for picking brackets this year. Well, uh, we talked about this last year to try to see what metrics were actually the best at determ- determining tournament success, not just who was the best team overall. Uh, so obviously they have you have my picks. Uh, we have what I'm picking objectively, what I'm picking subjectively with, you know, a little more favoritism in there. Uh, we have my gut reaction, which was literally I clicked on the bracket as soon as it came out. And without thinking about it, I just did two seconds or less to pick every single matchup. And I just rapid fire clicked through the bracket and ended up with that bracket. Then I did Ken Palm, then I did Ken Palm offensive and defensive efficiency separately, uh, along with the overall rankings. Then I did all chalk, which obviously you know how that turns out. Then I did the net, BPI. I did at least half of the games being upsets before the Sweet 16, and then also half of the Elite Eight and Final Four games are upset. Then I just did a bunch of stuff with random numbers, and we'll we'll skip over the random number stuff in terms of the Final Four, because let's just say uh, the Murray State-New Mexico State uh, Final Four matchup is not entirely likely. Uh, nor is the Murray State-San Diego State championship game matchup where Murray State becomes the national champions, although I would love to see that. Well, if uh, Jaw would have stayed, it's possible. Well, if he would have stayed all the way until his fifth year, yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, I don't think that's very likely. But I'll go back up to the top, starting with my objective picks. I have Kentucky beating Gonzaga in the Final Four, then Arizona beating Kansas, and then I have Kentucky beating Arizona. Uh, we talked about this already, that I thought Kentucky was my championship pick a few weeks ago when we talked about it. Uh, and I thought that Arizona was a close second, although I might not have actually mentioned it on that podcast. 
Uh, but the way I've seen Arizona play recently, I, it's really hard for me to deny them as possible winners. But I've heard what Coach Calipari had to say about their loss to Tennessee. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe he has what it takes to turn it around. I think, he, obviously, he's a good enough coach to do it. And I just don't know uh, if Tommy Lloyd is... Obviously, it's his first year as a head coach. And, you know, it, it takes a little bit for most teams to have tournament success with a new coach. Uh, but I still think that Arizona is so talented that they're at least going to make it at least the Elite Eight, although Kirk Reese's injury could change that. But going on my subjective picks, I actually flipped that around, and I had a little bit of a different Final Four. I picked Kentucky to beat Duke because uh, when I look at Gonzaga from a metric standpoint, from a professional, quote-unquote, standpoint, uh, I, I think Gonzaga's better than Duke. But when I look at it from a subjective perspective, I just like Duke's players better. They're more fun to watch than Gonzaga, in my opinion. Uh, and it, it, I feel like they still do have a chance to make it all the way there. Uh, all the way to the Final Four, and I would never pick Texas Tech because I can't pick any team that's that dependent on defense uh, and really, honestly, struggles on offense at times. So I think out of that bracket, you're really only picking Gonzaga or Duke, or there's a little surprise team that I'll get to later. Uh, And then I had Arizona beating Iowa on the other side of the bracket instead of Kansas. I'm really high on Iowa. I think out of any Big Ten team, they have the best chance to make it to the Final Four. I, I can almost guarantee that they will make it the farthest out of any Big Ten team unless there's some crazy Cinderella run from Rutgers or Michigan. And honestly, I think the other seeds that are high up, including Wisconsin, including Purdue, I think they're just, every team is going to take them so seriously with such a target on their back. And I think that their their woes are going to really catch up to them, whether it's Purdue on the defensive end and whether it's Wisconsin kind of on the offensive end and Johnny Davis not being 100% uh, at the moment. And then obviously, and then actually with my gut reaction, I had pretty much the I had kind of, an in-between Final Four where I had Gonzaga in it instead of Duke, but I had Kentucky beating Gonzaga once again, Arizona beating Iowa, and then Kentucky beating Arizona in the final. So it's clear to me that I think there are six teams that are main Final Four candidates. I'm thinking Kentucky, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, uh, Duke, and I'm also thinking Iowa. I think that, you know, I think there's obviously other teams that can make it. I'm not saying they're the only ones who can. I think Kentucky's the most likely non-one seed to make it, because I think, frankly, they could have been a one seed, and they're also in the region with Baylor, and Baylor is injured. So they definitely have the worst one in their region, not only by the tournament seedings, uh, but I'll get to what I think about more from uh, Baylor later. But let's move on to the Ken Palm stuff. If you go by Ken Palm, Ken Palm has Gonzaga beating Kentucky and Arizona beating Kansas, and then Gonzaga winning the national championship. Ken Palm offense has Gonzaga beating Purdue, Iowa beating Arizona, and then Gonzaga beating Iowa. Uh, Then you have Ken Palm defense efficiency, which has, uh, well, this one's funny. It turned out funny last year. It had Loyola Chicago winning the national championship. This year, maybe a little more likely, I'll say. Um, It has Texas Tech beating St. Mary's in the Final Four, which is an interesting matchup. And then it has San Diego State beating Tennessee, and then Texas Tech beating San Diego State for the national championship. I guess what I'm trying to tell you with this one is that uh, year after year, it seems very obvious that the best defensive team in basketball does not indeed, in fact, win championships. Uh, but I'll move on from that. Chalk obviously has Gonzaga beating Baylor, Arizona beating Kansas, and then Gonzaga beating Arizona. Uh, the Net has Gonzaga beating Baylor, Arizona beating Kansas, and then Gonzaga beating Arizona. I think it's no surprise that the Net is actually exactly the same as the top four seeds overall. I think the committee relies heavily on the Net, and it's not, and actually, I think Houston is the one wild card that was higher than some one seeds, but not higher than the one seed in their region, because I think Arizona was second in the net, and Houston might have been third. But the committee definitely did rely on the net. Obviously, that is the metric that they chose to be 
the one that ranks the teams overall. And that's also the reason that we'll get to later uh, why many bubble teams made it in. And then you have BPI, which has Gonzaga beating Kentucky, Houston beating Kansas, and Gonzaga beating Houston for uh, the national championship. So by the way, a lot of metrics like Gonzaga. Uh, But then in my upset bracket, well, I had to pick at least half of the games uh, in the round of 64 and the round of 32 as upsets. Uh, so you end up with a lot of one seeds that don't quite make it all the way. And then I did half of the Elite Eight and Final Four games are upsets. It, it would get a little too crazy if the Sweet 16 was uh, all up, was half upsets too, which I realized last year. And I realized I needed to fix it because I was either going to pick all one seeds everywhere and then just all of the one seeds losing in the Final Four, or I was going to pick uh, the, the lower seeded teams to just all go out and beat the one seeds. And it, it just got too chaotic. So to give this bracket some chance of being real and actually being correct, I did pick upsets in the elite eight and the final four and the national championship game in terms of seeding. So of course, what Cinderella team would I pick other than the Cinderella Kings themselves? I have UConn beating Kentucky in the final four, then Arizona beating Iowa and then UConn beating Arizona. I honestly don't think that's that unlikely. I I think five seeds in the final four, there aren't, there normally aren't multiple. There normally maybe isn't even one. Uh, But if we were going to pick one to get in, I would pick UConn or Iowa. Uh, And I've, I've obviously said Iowa a few times in my subjective rankings, but then in my gut reaction, but um, in terms of the upsets, I think that's honestly not that crazy. It's not that far out of the realm, which is also uh, the realm of possibilities, which is also why I think this year, this year's upsets might actually be a little more correct than they were uh, last year. And then uh, my random number games had uh, Gonzaga beating Kentucky, and you know they'd also had Kansas in the Final Four. The odd team out is a uh, UAB who goes all the way to the championship game uh, and then loses to Gonzaga. And then in random seeds where it literally just spit out a bunch of numbers of who would win against who. I already talked about having Murray State winning it all, so uh, that one will definitely be last out of all of those. But I don't know how they'll shake up against each other. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, it'll be fun to track how these predictive methods work uh, this year, and then we can start. We'll be our second year doing it, so maybe one of these becomes a, uh, a bracketology secret. Well, not bracketology, but a bracket-picking secret. Speaking of bracketology, what do you think uh, about the overall, the, the committee seeds, and uh, who's in? Well, I think, honestly, I think the only team that you could contest in the field uh, that that maybe the committee should have had in, I don't know who you would say they should be in over, is Texas A&M. To me, Texas A&M was my last team in the field, and I had Wyoming as the first team out. The committee had Wyoming as, I think, the last team in, or maybe the second or third last team in. But they did have A&M the fourth team out and had Dayton the first team out. Sorry, Oklahoma fans, but your resume is not better than A&M, especially with the run that A&M was able to go on. I think I've never seen recency bias be so prevalent when it comes to any sort of tournament run other than Oklahoma's because I don't know how anybody in their fan base somehow thinks that winning one big game in the Big 12 tournament, you know, it's one thing to be A&M who beat Auburn, who beat Florida, who was another bubble team, who also beat Arkansas by a decent, sizable amount, actually, that's three wins over tournament teams in the SEC tournament. Oklahoma only beat Baylor in the Big 12 tournament. They did not win that many games in the Big 12 tournament. They went 1-1 one one in the Big 12 tournament. Indiana had a more impressive run because they beat Michigan, a fellow tournament team, and they beat uh, Illinois. So I don't know where Oklahoma fans somehow think that after the whole year they were going to be in the tournament just by beating Baylor. I think Porter Moser might have been a little in over his head when he said we're a tournament team. It's just not... 
just not the way it works. Uh, then again, Bruce Pearl also said that Texas A&M would be a tournament team. Obviously, Bruce Pearl, the coach of Auburn, not the coach of uh, Texas A&M themselves, that being Buzz Williams. But I actually did think that A&M should have been in the tournament. But other than that, I, and honestly, I, I see why Wyoming was in. I think I think it's right to give the Mountain West respect for the year that it had uh, and to have four teams of it in. They already have enough SEC teams in. I can see why people didn't want Big Ten teams in, but... Rutgers show, has shown a better uh, ability to beat top teams than any of the other bubble teams did, including teams that were in way ahead of them. I mean, Miami has has a win over Duke, but other than that, they haven't really beaten good teams. I mean, Rutgers has more quad one wins than Duke does. It, it, it's very simple to see why Rutgers is in. Uh, in terms of Indiana, they went on the run at the end of the year. Some people may argue it's just because they're a name brand. They also had a decent resume overall. Uh, they, they had 20 wins, 20 wins in the Big Ten and also just overall a really hard schedule and metrics like them, uh, not even just the net, but other metrics do. Uh, and, and then I think when you go to Notre Dame, that might be the other team. I think Notre Dame and Wyoming are the two ones that you could take out and say A&M is better. Rutgers was a team that was that benefited a lot from the eye test and from uh, quad one wins being so important because if you looked at their net and their BPI and those kinds of things, they were way down there, not even close to being a tournament team, actually closer to the range of a team like a Richmond who could only get in by winning their conference tournament rather than a team like Notre Dame and a team like Indiana. But um, overall, other than that, I think the only other thing that I would disagree with is there is no way Duke should be a two seed over Tennessee. And that's a, but that, but other than that, I mean, I think last year we had, I think last year there was a conversation about Oklahoma state being underseeded. There was a conversation about many other teams being underseeded. So I think overall, the committee did a great job of getting the overall body of work. Everybody's obviously going to complain about one seed here and there. Although I do think that Tennessee over Duke was actually a lot more obvious than than it should have been to be messed up. I think if they needed to have Duke as a two seed, they probably should have bumped Villanova off that scene line instead of Tennessee. Uh, but overall, that's the one thing I will uh, doubt from them. And uh, other than that, I think it's all it was all pretty much on point with what I thought and maybe... Maybe the one other complaint is Boise State and Murray State maybe flipping those two. But other than that, those are really small things. And the rest of it is just tiny nuances like should Davidson have been above Virginia Tech, et cetera, et cetera. Those kinds of things are not really too important to the overall bracket. So I, I thought they got pretty much everything right. Uh, and I think there are also some interesting matchups. I think it's also weird that uh, some of the 11 seeds are favored over the six seeds. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, um, I just think it's funny. Year after year, the NCAA tournament tells you what its criteria is, tells you what metrics it's using, i.e., we're using the net. We created the net to do seeding and to use it as a way to compare teams. And created and, the net in spite of the RPI because they had found that the RPI wasn't good enough, and right. yet people still try to bring up the RPI as a reason for their team to be in the tournament. And they tell you it's your body of work over the course of the season. It's teams are really, they've told you, teams are really not going to play themselves out of the tournament by their conference tournaments. They can play themselves in and maybe improve their seedings a little bit. Yet these fans and some some professional bracketologists refuse to listen to what the tournament says and continue to make the same mistakes. And I will also say that the one thing that I, that I can see with Texas A&M, which is why I had them as the last team and could not put justify putting them any higher than that, is that Wyoming has eight losses on the season. A&M had an eight-game losing streak to open SEC play after one win. So when you look at that and you're talking about overall body of work, yes, A&M got the three wins in the conference tournament, which, by the way, weighs higher than Oklahoma's, and that's why they should have been in it over them. Uh, and then Dayton had three losses at the beginning of the season, but three losses is less than eight, and Dayton also followed up those three losses with 
three good wins right after over Miami, over Belmont, and over Kansas, and then later over Virginia Tech, and overall played a decent non-conference schedule, whereas A&M actually didn't. I really do see where the reasoning comes in that the committee liked them better, uh, but you know there there was something there with in terms of the metrics that that had Oklahoma and Texas A&M higher than even, I mean Dayton was the first team out, but still Dayton and Wyoming even with the net using the net there were some metrics that definitely had those teams higher. But I get why they gave them the respect, and I, I don't really disagree with it. All right. Well, now that we've given uh, some thoughts on the on the tournament as a whole, I want to pose you some uh, specific questions. Um, and I'll answer them too. What uh, one seed has the easiest path to the Final Four? I think it is the Midwest because I think that after Iowa, I think that the combination of Wisconsin and Auburn is easier as a 2-3 uh, seed overall than anything other than maybe the West. Um, I, I think if you're excluding how good the team is themselves, because obviously a lot of people think Gonzaga is the best in the country, and I think they're probably second or, be- second or, or best overall anyway, uh, I think if you were to put Gonzaga in Kansas's region, that being the Midwest, everybody would say they would easily walk through the region. I think if you put Kansas in the West, they might not say the same thing with Duke and Texas Tech. But I think overall, Wisconsin's luck has started to run out at the end of the season. They're they're coming into this tournament off of losses against Nebraska. I mean, their last three games are a banked-in three to win, a loss to Nebraska at home without Nebraska's best player, even though they're also the worst team in the Big Ten. And, uh, well, technically the second worst team in the Big Ten. Um, And then also a loss in the Big Ten tournament to Michigan State, who has not been, who's not shown the ability to beat a lot of top teams all year long. I just don't see how this team's going to go super, super far. And I think also there are two ways that close game, that, that teams that rely on close games either go. Either they go really, really far because they have that experience. Or they lose really early because one team finally makes shots better than them and just has better shot making at the end of the game and that luck of 15-3 and three runs out. And by the way, speaking of close games, Providence is also in this region. They have both of the close game kings in their region. Uh, they have Iowa, who's what, like 80th in defensive efficiency, one of the worst defensive teams in the tournament even, not even... By the way, that's including the auto bids. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the tournament. And even though I still have Iowa as possibly a Final Four team. Uh, and then Auburn... They, they have Jabari Smith, I get it. They have good shooting. They have good rim protection. But overall, their shooting percentages are low, and their guards have made some questionable decisions at the end of the game. And I see the fact that the last game before the tournament for Auburn had KD Johnson going 0 for 14 from the field and them losing to A&M. So I, I think the issues that we've talked about with Auburn all season are still there. Uh, Wisconsin's, Wisconsin's reliance on close games and Providence's reliance on close games just looks to be that Kansas is really favored to win that region because they've won close games. And they've, I mean, they won against Texas in overtime with Ochai Abaji not hitting a shot from the field until overtime. So they have beaten better teams in overtime without their best player playing well. They can easily beat other teams when their best players don't play well and when they stay in close games. Kansas has all the experience. I like the Big 12 overall this year and the SEC too, but I think... The SEC, I'm liking Kentucky and Tennessee as the teams that will advance far, not Auburn. Uh, so I got to go with Kansas region of the Midwest. Well, I'm going to go with the West uh, because, as we talked about, I think it has the weakest two seed. So you've got the best team, A, and you've got the weakest two seed. Maybe you shouldn't be a two seed. And frankly, I look at that region, and if Memphis gets past Boise State in the first round, that might be Gonzaga's biggest test till they get to the Final Four. That's major disrespect to UConn, but go ahead. Well. I'm not saying UConn's got to even get out of there. They might act past, get past Arkansas. But I think just, just because of the, what we talked about, the Week 2 seed. The Week 2 seed in Texas Tech is a good 3 seed, but they're not the best 3 seed either. That's true. Tennessee's 
much better. Yeah. So, and I obviously agree with you uh, about Wisconsin. They're trash. All right, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, what do you think is the most chaotic region in the tournament? I think it's got to be the South. Uh, the only reason why is because Arizona has a... Ch- well, I have a lot of reasons why. Arizona has a chance to really fizzle out in the tournament without Kirk Creasa, without a point guard. Uh, I mean, they still have many point guards. I mean, Benedict Matherin can play point guard, and also uh, so can Daylon Terry. But overall... I don't like the loss of a ball handler that also is a great shooter right before the tournament. It's not It's not good. Uh, Illinois almost beat them already, and Illinois has probably played better maybe at the end of the season, so Illinois could beat them in the Sweet 16. Uh, Houston is a reigning Final Four team that is loved by metrics, uh, but they're injured, so th- that's also... I mean, but everything I mentioned, everything has a but to it. This is why I think this is the most chaotic region. Michigan was top 10 preseason and is now an 11th seed, but they're also favored to beat the 6th seed in the first round. Then you have Villanova, who obviously has the best championship pedigree of any team in this, reason, in this region by far. And then you have Tennessee, who just won the SEC and probably is the best three because they should have been a two. And then to top it all off, my favorite team of all, Ohio State, the most consistent team in existence. Mr. Lose to Penn State and Mr. Wit lose against Nebraska, lose against Michigan, but somehow beat Iowa on the road. Or no, but lose to Iowa on the, at home, but then somehow beat Illinois on the road. We, I don't know what they're going to do. They probably will lose to Loyola Chicago. They might not. If they don't lose to Loyola Chicago, watch out Villanova. They might be dangerous. Or they could just lose to Villanova by 50 in the second round. We don't really know what's going to happen with Ohio State. That's That's been kind of the whole season for them, or at least the end of the season. And then you have, of course, Loyola Chicago, where uh, they, Cinderella, I mean, that's it. They always go on runs. Loyola Chicago is one of the most consistent run-making teams. Uh, and by the way, Michigan has been to four Sweet 16s in the last four years. They've been to the Sweet 16 in the last four tournaments that they've been in and that there have been. So there's a lot of championship pedigree here. There's a lot of hot te- I mean, Tennessee is a hot team. I mean, Michigan's going to have to beat Tennessee to keep that streak alive, which could be crazy, but it probably could happen. Uh, Illinois might not get past Houston, but also could get past Arizona. And then you have Villanova, who I think they can run the table in the bottom of that region, but then that, that, that Tennessee game is really going to be really, really tough for them. So overall, I think anything can happen with, really from seeds 1 to 11 in this region, other than the fact that I don't think I can see TCU beating Arizona. I actually could see, I actually could see Seton Hall beating Arizona though, because they can stay in some tough games. They're a little injured though. So maybe I'll probably say Seton Hall can't beat them either. But other than that eight, nine, I think really all of those teams have a chance to be the winners of that region. And I'll go with the Midwest. Uh, I can see three to four lower seeded teams, number nine, Creighton, number 12, Richmond, number 10, Miami, number 11, Iowa state winning there. First round games, that kind of dovetails into what you said about the easiest, uh, clearest pass for the number one seed. I just think that could you could have chaos in the beginning with a bunch of upsets and clear the playing field. So um, I've got the Midwest. All right, how about, and this is chaotic, so maybe we should call it the Jekyll and Hyde region we talked about. How about the most wide open region? I think uh, I think we agree here. I think the East could be what I'm calling the quote-unquote Michigan region of last year where I will say there was, last year there was a region where there were two double-digit seeds uh, in the Sweet 16, and then an 8 seed playing, what, a 12 seed to get to the Elite 8 with the 2 seed governing all of that, that being Houston, uh, that got through all of that somehow. Uh, but I will say that was one region last year, but then there was another region, and it's where UCLA came from to get all the way to the Final Four from the first four in, or from the last four in games. Uh, I think that because of Baylor's injuries, they're, they're again, they're just like Michigan in that last year Michigan was looking like a title pick again. They, they were looking like a very, very trendy title pick in the middle of the season. 
right when we thought it was just Gonzaga and Baylor that could win it all, it really seemed like Michigan was jumping into that conversation. And then Isaiah Livers got hurt, and that kind of ruined that team. Uh, And they were playing an eight-man rotation, so they weren't really deep enough to deal with that. Baylor has had kind of the same thing where Jonathan Chamuachachua has gotten injured, and there's one other player that's gotten injured that I can't put uh, put a finger on the name of it, but uh, of him. But Baylor is was running like a nine or ten man rotation, and now has two players that were out from that. So they have that same issue that Michigan does, and yet there's st- it still feels like they could be Final Four good. But I could also see that they're weak enough just to just to maybe lose in the Elite Eight. I think that could happen. I think they could go all the way to the Elite Eight and then lose to Kentucky. I could also see Kentucky maybe slipping up and maybe losing to Purdue or even to Virginia Tech, who's playing really well right now. And then you have Indiana, who has just come off of a really good run in the Big Ten tournament that I could easily see beating St. Mary's in the first round if they make it past Wyoming. I could easily see them even beating UCLA if they keep winning. Uh, And then then you never know what's going to happen. And I think just overall... There's a lot of variability there. You obviously also have North Carolina even as the eight there that's really dangerous on the offensive end. And they're the perfect team that in the tournament might be way better than the regular season just because if they catch fire shooting, they are one of the better teams in the country. It's just that they have been very inconsistent with that. The Virginia Tech game, they got blown out by Virginia Tech when they didn't shoot well. And then they beat Duke by 15 on the road when they do shoot well. That is the nature of North Carolina. Uh, That's what they've been doing all season long. But all it takes is one weekend of good shooting and all of a sudden... They get past St. Mary's, they get past Baylor, everything gets easier from there, and once they're in the Sweet 16, you never know what can happen. So that region, I think, is the most wide open for those reasons. I agree with you. I've got five teams, uh, the one through five seeds, Baylor, Kentucky, Purdue, UCLA, and St. Mary's in the seeding order that I think could emerge from there in the Final Four, and it wouldn't be surprising. So agree with you on that point. Um, let's take a little history lesson and, uh, and then make a prediction. So uh, we mentioned this last year when looking at the tournament, it held even more true um, we mentioned it prior to the tournament last year. It held even more true in last year's tournament. A double-digit seed has reached the Sweet 16 every year since 2008. And also two double-digit seeds have reached the Sweet 16 in eight of those last 11 tournaments, including last year, Oregon State, UCLA, Oral Roberts, and Syracuse all made the Sweet 16. So uh, four double-digit seeds. Who could those teams be this year? What double-digit seeds could make the Sweet 16? Well, I will also mention that not only were those double-digit seeds, but UCLA obviously coming all the way from the last four in-games. You have Oregon State, who was going to be out if they didn't make a magical run in their own conference tournament. You have Oral Roberts, who was a 15 seed. Obviously, that upset almost never happens. And then you have Syracuse. It's Syracuse. They do that a lot. Uh, But still, 11 seed, 11 seed, 12 seed, 15 seed. They're not just a bunch of 10 seeds last year that all had success because they had week twos. They were all there for really weird reasons and kind of came out of nowhere, honestly. Uh, But this year, I think you have to look at, obviously, first you've got to look at Loyola Chicago because Loyola Chicago is Loyola Chicago. Uh, If Sister Jean is still alive, that team has a fighting chance to go anywhere that they want to go. And honestly, I think this could have been the best team from the beginning of the year to the end of the year that Loyola Chicago has had. This whole time, I think that they just didn't do enough. They, they lost a few close games as the as the Missouri Valley Conference got better. Uh, but other than last year, I think this is the best team Loyola Chicago has had uh, in terms of even those teams that did make the even that team that did make the Final Four. And then I have to go with Virginia Tech because they are really really hot right now when they have good matchups against anybody. I think Kevin Luma and Justin Mutz, as long as they can stay out of foul trouble, it's just a really hard one-two combo to deal with if you're talking about. Uh, power forwards and centers for other teams to deal with. I think also they get a pretty good matchup playing Texas early. And then I think also they have the size to be able to deal with Travion Williams and Zach Eady, but they're also way more versatile than both of those players. 
Uh, so they could really make it all the way to the Sweet 16 because those would be the matchups in their way. Uh, and Texas is just so cold on the offensive end sometimes that you never know what you'll get from them. And Virginia Tech could easily, uh, well, they don't get cold from the offensive end, so they could easily just be better than them and win that first round game. And then it's all up to, can they upset Purdue? I still have to say that Michigan's talent range uh, can get, or talent can give them a wide range of possibilities, even though I don't think it's highly likely because of the fact that they drew Tennessee as the three seed. Uh, but if Tennessee doesn't shoot well, and also you look at the guards, Michigan is Michigan last few years has had a small point guard and maybe an undersized point guard, I guess you could say, and a small ish shooting guard, that being Eli Brooks. Tennessee actually has that too with Kennedy Chandler and Zakai Ziegler. So overall, they're actually more similar than you might think they are. Uh, but I, I still think Tennessee is better and I still think they're going to get there. But I just think that overall that talent ra- that, that talent just gives you any possibility. You never know. They could just be like UCLA last year where they're a little bit experienced. Maybe not experienced isn't necessarily the right word. Although Devontae Jones, Eli Brooks, and Hunter Dickinson are surely experienced. But uh, they have enough experience and they just have so much talent. And even though they had some bad, some rough patches, the end of the season, the middle of the season, it's still, the talent is still there for them to make a run if all the chips fall into the right place. And then Rutgers has shown the ability to literally beat anybody and also lose to anybody. So I have to say, there's got to be some chance that they might make it past Alabama, who is the most inconsistent team in the country year in or, or sorry, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, although Ohio State had the most consistent and Alabama was the most in, inconsistent, sorry, inconsistent, and uh, Alabama was the most inconsistent overall. And then, as you said, Texas Tech is not necessarily the strongest three, and I think overall, they're a defensive team. Rutgers likes to slow the game down, too, and play a lot of defensive ball. Rutgers has a lot of one-on-one ball that they like to run. I don't think Texas Tech is necessarily a lock to win that game against Rutgers, so I think that they could also make it out of that matchup if they're able to make it out of the first four game. And also, I think Indiana has that same kind of potential that Rutgers has. All right, well, I'm going to agree with you with a, with a couple of them for the same reasons. Virginia Tech is hot, and they've proven they can beat anybody if they can maintain that hot streak. Although sometimes uh, teams who come in hot just flame out. Maybe that should have been a separate question. Like Georgetown who, last year. Yeah, who, who, who's coming in hot that's going to flame out? Uh, frankly, I think that team could be Iowa, although then again, they could stay hot, and uh, I'll talk about them a little later. I agree with you about Michigan. Talk about a team you said Rutgers that's proven they can beat anybody. Michigan's proven they can blow anybody out of the building when they're hitting their shots. They're so inconsistent with their talent. Did beat Purdue by 24. Yeah, that's true. And beat Iowa at Iowa, and um, they, they've had they've had some strong wins. So um, then the next, the other two teams I'll go with, it's really because of the situations who they're playing. I'm going to go with Iowa State because if you look, they've got an LSU team who has a fired coach. So who the heck knows who's going to show up? And then they've got the weak Wisconsin team, the weakest three seed that for the reasons you've talked about earlier. And then in that same bottom half of the bracket, so heck, one of these teams could emerge uh, to the Elite Eight as a double-digit seed. Um, I'm going to go with Miami of Florida. They play USC, who is, I know, your favorite team all year. You think they've been underrated all year. Um, yeah, And then definitely. if they should happen to win that game, they play a very uh, sometimes unpredictable Auburn team. So um, that's who I will go with uh, for my double-digit seeds who might be able to make the Sweet 16. Let's go. Uh, and I let you yeah. have that. I let you have that Miami one because I do. I, I do say I, I really like Miami's uh, guards matching up with Auburn's. The one reason why I wouldn't say that is just because I don't know who's going to guard Jabari Smith for Miami uh, when I look at the matchups. But other than that, I think Miami does have a great chance. Okay. Now uh, another historical perspective with a predictive element: uh, a five seater worse has reached the final four in each of the last eight tournaments and ten of the last eleven. Who are those? Who could those teams be this year for you? 
Well, I already said that Iowa is in my subjective Final Four, so obviously I believe in them. Uh, and if Gonzaga has an off-shooting night, I think UConn will capitalize and take them down in the Sweet 16 and ride the momentum all the way to a win in the Elite Eight. Outside chances other than Houston, obviously, who's loved by metrics and overall is kind of the obvious pick. I'll throw in LSU and Alabama because of the strength of the SEC and how inconsistent these teams have been. Both have had super, super high peaks, namely Alabama. Uh, Alabama is easily, easily, easily capable of taking down Texas Tech and Duke. I would not put that past them at all. And then by the time they get to Gonzaga, oh wait, they already beat Gonzaga on a neutral floor. And by the way, by neutral floor, we're talking about in Seattle, which I wouldn't even count as neutral because it's pretty close to Spokane. Uh, They've beaten Gonzaga on a neutral floor. I can't say they won't do it again. Uh, I I will say I, I, I like Gonzaga better in a rematch, but since we're talking about five seeds or worse who have a chance, I might as well go with them. In LSU, I get the thing with the coach, but also... Iowa State might be the most the most weak 11 seed, honestly, uh, and I think that also when you have Wisconsin in your bracket and then you have Auburn, LSU has, show, has shown that they can beat Auburn. Uh, they didn't beat them this year, and they and that game was at home for Auburn, though, which is kind of unfair to say to LSU, uh, but LSU also, I think, has the talent level to beat Auburn because really everybody in the SEC has had a chance to beat Auburn, including even Georgia and Missouri. Uh, so I think that if you get Auburn in a close game and you're able to frustrate them, you might have LSU coming out with a win in that game, and all of a sudden, they're all the way in the Final Four as long as they can get past Kansas or Iowa or Providence, whoever comes out out of the top half of that bracket. All right, well, I'm uh, I'm going to go with Houston. Um, I think that's the most likely one. And then if Iowa stays hot, and it's a big if, I just I, I, every year some team comes in, hottest team, flashy pick, made a tournament run, et cetera, and then they flame out. So um, I'm not sold on Iowa, but I'll go with Houston or Iowa. Um, let's move on. We've talked about it a lot this year. We've talked about it in past years. A great predictor of who wins the national championship is a team that is in the Ken Palm top 20 in offense, offensive and defensive efficiency. So who's that team this year? Out of the following options headed into the tournament, you got Gonzaga, Arizona, Houston, Baylor, and UCLA. Well, if I had to pick from those teams only, uh, I'm going with Arizona. But I will say, you got to look at some notable wild cards here. You have Kentucky, who's number four in offensive efficiency and number 27 in defense. You have Kansas, who's number six in offense and number 29 in defense. You have Auburn, who's number 24 in offense, number eight in defense. Then you have Villanova, who's number eight in in offense and number 28 in defense. And I also think when you look at those teams, you have Kentucky, Kansas, and Villanova right next to each other, all as two or one seeds, all in the 27 to 29th defensively range. Whoever out of them loses is going to fall below the other two. Whoever loses earliest, I should say. So I think, honestly, Kentucky might not even buck the trend of the stat. I think they just might join the stat by the end of the tournament. I think if Kentucky wants to win a national championship, they will have to beat a Purdue team that's second or third in offensive efficiency, and I think they will be able to, but the only way they can is if they play better defense. And when they play better defense, now that rating will jump, and I think they will end up in the top 20. I think they might even fall down a little bit on offense, focusing so much on defense. I really think Kentucky's probably going to end if they win the national championship, which I think they can. Uh, I think they'll probably end up maybe number five in offense and number like 25-ish or maybe even number 20, somewhere around that range of 18, 17, something like that in defense. And I would like to mention that Baylor last year was in the defensive efficiency top 20 for most of the year, barely fell out at the end when they had a little bit of a cold streak and ended it 
number two in offense and number 22 in defense, which I think is eerily, eerily similar to how Kentucky looks right now. And I would also say, don't put it past Villanova and Kansas as the other wild cards there, but I think Kentucky is the strongest out of the wild cards. But if I had to go back to the top 20 right now entering the tournament, I'm going with Arizona. Okay, and quickly, I will take Gonzaga uh, from the non-wild cards. And if you make me pick a wild card, go with Auburn. Um, maybe uh, maybe they get a little hotter on offense. Jabari Smith, make sure that they uh, get, get, get into that 20th offensive efficiency by the end of the tournament. Um, if he's the one shooting at the end of the game, they definitely will. But if their guards keep shooting, that's not likely. <laughs> well, anyway, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast and our pre-NCAA tournament look at NCAA tournament action. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, March 18th, where we will dig even deeper into the NCAA tournament. We'll be in the, in the throes of NCAA tournament basketball action, so we'll have in-depth analysis of both the results of the first four, first day of the tournament, maybe the maybe most of the second day of the tournament, and looking forward uh, to the round of 32. Uh, in the meantime, please be sure, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his latest NCAA tournament bracket, which was posted before the official brackets were announced, so you can see how accurate of a bracketologist he was. Let's put it this way. He's as good as the people being paid to do it. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.